0: You are listening to this week's sermon podcast from Life Point Church in Ames, Iowa. For more information visit www.livethemessage.org. Lord, I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of a church family that isn't so much concerned about um, the name of our institution or our programs, but they're they're very very concerned because I've Heard it from so many of them. They're concerned about your namesake in this city. And they want to see you do something unprecedented. They want to see you move, and I'm so thankful for that. And God, I ask in these next few moments that you'd speak to our hearts. We don't want to simply read words on a page. We want your word to be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, I pray you'd allow it to come alive to us. Change the way we see the world and see ourselves in the light of eternity. I pray it in your mighty name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Philippians chapter 3. So we're going to be spending the next several weeks. If you've been with us at all, or if you haven't, this is where we've been. We've been in Ephesians chapter 1, introducing a prayer that's going to be our prayer for the next nine months. And the prayer is very simply, we're asking God to give us spiritual wisdom and insights that we might grow in the knowledge of God. And we have prayer cards available. We've been handing them out like crazy, because we want people to put them in memorable places throughout the their rhythm of their week so they can be reminded to pray that very prayer. That God would give us spiritual wisdom and insight. That he'd give us a special grace. He'd just open up heaven so that we might grow in the knowledge of God. That's, that's God's destiny, that's God's call in your life, is that you'd continually grow in your knowledge, in your relationship with him. And so fittingly, that's what we've introduced the last four weeks fittingly now we're gonna we're gonna shift in this series or this year-long series called discover more we're gonna shift towards specifically talking about intimacy with God your personal relationship with Jesus Christ that no one else can have for you God is inviting you into an intimate daily personal relationship with Jesus Christ and I want to introduce a truth to you this morning it's this very simple truth that Jesus did not give his life to start a religion. He gave his life to purchase back relationship with you. And I will define this morning how I'm using that word religion because not all uses of the word religion are bad. But I'm gonna define very clearly our hearts tendency, human, human tendency towards controllable religion versus what Jesus actually gave his life for which is personal, daily communion, relationship, fellowship with you. That he would be our God, that we would be his people. That is the, the, the redemptive story from beginning to end in God's word. That's what Jesus gave his life for. That's what he gave his life for for you, is that he would know you and that you would know him in personal, intimate relationship. So I'll introduce this idea of intimacy with God very simply, through John chapter 7, this is on the screen, just, just read along with me on the screen, it says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, John's referring to the Feast of Tabernacles, the eighth day, of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up before the crowds and he shouted, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the, for the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Jesus was bold enough to stand before the crowds. They're all going through their, their, their motions for this ceremony to obviously thank God for his provision in the midst of a harvest. In the midst of it, he's like, hey, look to me as the, the, the fulfillment of the thirst of your soul. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Come to me. Drink from me. I am the only thing that will satisfy you. And he uses that imagery which we're going to be using for the next three weeks, the imagery of rivers of living water flowing from within. That's how Jesus describes what you and I are invited into in him, is this daily, unending flow of relationship and communion with God vertically. You were designed, you are pre-programmed to thrive in relationship with God. And we can never really experience what we are created for unless we experience relationship with God. He's obviously created us with relationship horizontally with others, healthy relationships with others, but even more so, he's created us for relationship with him. And Jesus is trying to pique our curiosity. He's trying to draw you in this morning to this reality that there is an unending flow which he compares to rivers of living water. And so I want us to use that imagery. Some translations say it's like a spring bubbling up from within, from your heart. I want us to use that imagery of, of a well to help, us understand, help to help us understand your personal relationship with Jesus Christ over the next several weeks. And so I brought my shovel this morning for that very purpose. Because honestly, this morning is the most difficult message I have in the next three weeks. This morning we're going to do the tough work of digging through the hard surface of religion which is very difficult work. It's not so much laborious like you're gonna be breaking a sweat, but can I tell you this morning, this message is difficult for me to deliver, and I know it's gonna be difficult for you to receive, because all of our hearts, we love religion. Religion is fully controllable, it's, it's very self-serving, it's very predictable, it's controllable, it's calculated, that's what, that's what religion is, But relationship is much more fluid and organic it requires much more humility on our part much more radical faith to fall on our faces before God in dependence on his goodness on his grace and his love in our lives and so this morning is difficult work i'm asking for you to pick up your shovel this morning the hard ground that we're going to be digging through this morning is the tough ground of religion i have a affinity for for wells specifically because I'm a civil engineer by education, and I had the privilege in engineering school to have a spirit-filled man of God as my dean of engineering for the first year that I was in school. My sophomore year, he ended up retiring, and he ended up moving to Rwanda, Africa to give his the last years of his life, uh, drilling water wells, giving clean water in a country that has, ha- that, uh, that has had a water crisis for many years, and so I had the crazy idea to, to send him an email, ask him if I could come and live with him the summer between my j- junior and senior year. And he was gracious enough to say yes. And so off I went, I flew across, across the world to Rwanda where I lived for three months. And it was over that span of three months that we, we were able to give clean water to over 10,000 people. People that lived in um, the worst of the worst of poverty. We've, there's an image I have later on the screen. Of, of a woman getting uh, water out of a hand dug well that none of us would even want to wash our hands in. And that was the condition of, of so many people's day to day life. And we were able to give them clean water, the most basic human need. Jesus uses that, uh, that idea of the most basic of human needs the purity of water, that sustaining flow of water that we all need in the physical. We have access to that spiritually in relationship with God. We have access to this pure, uninhibited relationship with him. That's what he gave his life for. So if we look here at Philippians chapter 3, this is a letter that Paul wrote while in prison. This is a church he loved dearly. But this church already was being, it was only about 12 years old, this church was only about 12 years after being conceived as a church, and already they were being tempted to go down this path and being distracted by religion. I, I want to tell you before we read this, why this is so relevant to all of us. You may be saying, ah, I'm not religious, I truly love Jesus, and, and, and I'm not going to question you specifically, I just want to challenge all of us, because this is not so much that we've arrived Ever. It's this constant deflection of controlled religion and constant pursuit of daily relationship and communion with Jesus. If you are here in this place and you say, Drew, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I don't know, when you talk about intimacy with God, it's a foreign concept to me. Well, I'm telling you this morning, this message is for you. Christianity, probably in the form that you've seen it, has been a stale, going through the motions, rhythm Of predictable, calculated religion. If you're in this place and you've walked with God for many years and you've been in church for many years, I'm thankful for Christ's redemptive work in your life. He's opened up the floodgates, but I'm telling you this morning, there is more. And I've just noticed in my short time on this earth, I'm only 32 years old, but as I've grown up in the church, I've noticed the longer I'm in church, the more easily, more subtle my temptations to fall into the rut of religion is in my life. And the subtleties on the outside are so deceiving. Because on the outside, it can all look the same. But in the inside, when I have seen the interior of my soul, it's, it, the, the divide couldn't be any further between religion and relationship. And that's what God is inviting you into this morning. I'm just asking for, for a moment in these next few minutes as we read this as we read about the testimony of Paul, turning from religion to an encounter and relationship with Christ, that we would all do a little soul-searching this week and say, God, how are you inviting me into deeper relationship this week? Let's read this, Philippians chapter three, verse one, he says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. We who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord." everything else is worthless when compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my lord and the everything in the context of this verse specifically the everything that Paul is referring to is the everything of religion right he said before he encountered the true the true risen Christ he was well affirmed and well respected as a religious leader a leader of leaders from the youngest of ages he was raised up in the religious system I mean, he was at the top of the pyramid of that what we would describe as religion. And now he says it's all worthless. He goes on to say it's like garbage compared to the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It was a turning of the tables in his own life. And this morning, Jesus is calling each and every one of us into the thing that that he purchased for us, which is relationship, daily communion daily intimacy and so i'm going to starkly contrast religion and relationship this morning in four ways firstly it's this religion says jesus and in relationship says jesus period the context of what paul was referring to here was this this group of believers they, they recognized the work of Jesus on the cross. They weren't even all Jews. Some of them were actually non-Jews, Gentiles, and they were called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were proposing this, this, this idea that, yes, we put faith in Jesus Christ, but we also, we also need to make sure people still get circumcised. How many guys can say ouch? And on top of that, they need to follow other Other laws from the Old Testament uh, Jewish system. It was like taking their pick from the smorgasbord of Old Testament laws. And they're saying, we're going to add those to Jesus. And throughout Christian history, we've done this. We've said, Jesus and works. Jesus and baptism. Jesus and baptism through in a very specific way. It has to be in a very specific way or else it doesn't count. Or Jesus, plus whatever moral code a group of believers would want to put upon others, that's religion. Jesus and. It's not until we encounter the sufficiency of Jesus that we can truly experience the more that's available to us in relationship with Christ. Jesus is sufficient. And so the more and more you're tempted to to add other things to the work of Christ. I would just challenge you to say, Jesus is sufficient. Every time the lies of the enemy start speaking, whispering into your ears, saying, I don't know, maybe you need to do this and this and that before Jesus will really want to have a relationship with you. Say, no, Jesus is sufficient. His work on the cross is sufficient. He's sufficient. We need the purity of the life of Jesus. And any time we accept a form of the gospel That's Jesus and it's contaminated. We need the purity of Jesus. Just like you would all want to drink pure water, am I right? You know, so much of the globe is still in the midst of a water crisis. 783 million people on the globe still do not have access to clean water. You know, one out of five child deaths is due to water-related illness. You know, 50%, this stat blew my mind, 50% of hospital beds globally are filled with people that are suffering from waterborne illnesses. It's still a huge issue. You know, it's oblivious to us, this, bo- this most basic need in most, honestly, we don't even think about the luxury that we have to drink pure water. We wouldn't want anything else. And you can put that picture of the, the woman that we encountered in one of the villages we drew, uh, 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 drilled a water well. The, the village leaders brought us to this hand-dug well where literally at the time this, this lady was, was taking out a, um, a basin full of, of water for her, her household that day. Most of the, the people that retrieve water in the villages are female. So just on, upon the economy and on society as a whole, it's a huge um, black mark, the most basic human need, water, pure water. But there's something in us that, that resists the purity of Jesus, thinking it has to be more complex. Can I tell you, the simple gospel of Jesus is what you need. That's the solution for your soul. That's not the Sunday school answer. That is the answer. You need Jesus, the sufficiency, the goodness, The grace, the radical grace of Jesus. It's enough. It's enough for you. Secondly, religion says this depends on me, relationship says this depends on Jesus. This one is so common in my own life where I begin to think I'm not doing enough. I need to muster up more energy, more discipline to get my ducks in a row. And then possibly the Lord will turn his face towards me and shine his glory upon me. Can I tell you, Jesus has already split heaven and came and he gave his perfect blood for you and for me. It depends on him. He was the one who did the heavy lifting. So when I refer to the difficulty that we have in discerning Religion in our life—it's—it's so, it's not so much you have to do more work. It's more and more that we need to die to our own pride and our own eager that it does not depend on us. So the difficult work is what, it's what I said—it was not laborious. It's not that you're going to be breaking a sweat. It's difficult because it's hard for us to say, "Oh, it doesn't depend on me anymore. It depends fully on Christ." And we get on our knees and we say, "It depends fully on you, Jesus. You are enough. I'm going to stop trying." More, I'm gonna start falling on my face before you depending on your grace, your sufficiency, your goodness, your work on the cross. Can I tell you that it's, I I think so many of us get tied up in our own minds. And we compare ourselves to others. I'm not doing as much as that person. Or my faith, it's, it's not as radical as that person's faith. It's not even so much that you have that it's about the quality of your faith. You need enough faith to confess Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that he died on the cross? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? Can you, with your tongue, declare that Jesus is Lord? Then you can be saved. Then it's enough to come into right relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. You see, if anybody could have said it could have been by his own effort, it was Paul. I love that he lays out his testimony here. In verse three he says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Later he talks about how he was a Pharisee and the Pharisees were just known for how they strictly watched the meticulous uh, Old Testament law, almost like going above and beyond. This is what the law says, okay, we're gonna make sure we do this extravagant thing to, to show that we're following the letter of the law. It was like the epitome of of human effort. And he says he now considers it worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It doesn't depend on you. And it's not even so much about the quality of your faith. Teacher and thinker Timothy Keller uses this analogy about the quality of our faith. He talks about two, two passengers who are about to get onto an airplane. The first passenger is just petrified, terrified, full of all sorts of fears, doubts in the competency of the crew and the ability of the aircraft to get them to their destination. Hundreds of fears, but somehow this, this passenger musters up enough faith to get onto the airplane, shaking in their boots, and buckles themselves in the seat. The second passenger honestly didn't think anything of it, didn't question the competency of the, of the crew or the engineering, uh, Behind the the aircraft, they got on the airplane, buckled in, and they were off. Can I tell you, both passengers got to the destination. So it wasn't even the quality, the depth, and the breadth of the faith. You need enough to place it in Jesus. Can you declare that Jesus is Lord? Then what you've done is you've started a, a relationship. This springs of living water are beginning to flow in your life. And now it's just a matter of you depending more and more on him on his work in your life and not your own. So we're continually shedding, this, it depends on me, it depends on Jesus. Get on our knees and declare that over our lives. Thirdly, religion says my prize is recognition and respect. Relationship says Jesus is my greatest prize. And this is where if we've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, The recognition and respect of others can seep into our lives and so subtly rob us of true relationship with Jesus Christ. We can begin doing more for Christ so we get the affirmation and respect of others. And every time we do that, we're receiving a prize in the moment. But we're missing out on a greater prize, which is Jesus Christ. I'm not saying he's disqualifying you from the kingdom. I'm saying this unadulterated relationship with Jesus Christ that more is being missed out on in our lives. See, Paul had experienced recognition and respect. He was at the top of the pyramid. He told others what to do. And everyone affirmed him in his zeal, in his knowledge, in his ability to articulate the teachings of Judaism. And yet he said, I once thought these things were so valuable. These These things meant the world to me. But he said, now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. It's almost a mockery to what Christ has done to now gain a reward from what other people think of me. He said, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I I may be sounding like I'm harsh Upon us. But I'm preaching to myself. This is the journey God has on me, or has me in, as He's drawing me into deeper relationship. Human pride is so subtle. And on the outside, we can fool people around us. But on the inside, we we can be shriveling up. And I believe this morning, even if you've walked with God for a long time, God is saying, I have fresh water. I have streams of living water that he's, he's trying to stir up within you, inviting you into more. That's what he's been doing in my life. I'll just use this example from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaches, obviously the Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon of Jesus. He uses three things, very good things, giving, prayer, and fasting to teach us about the subtleties of religion. Can I tell you, at this church we believe in prayer, we believe in giving, we believe in fasting, all those things we believe in. They're not bad, but Jesus uses the subtlety of prideful religion, uh, uses these to teach about that. And specifically, when he starts to teach about prayer, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get but when you pray go away by yourself shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private then your father who sees everything will will reward you he's not so much saying praying in public is bad and you only have to pray in private you don't have to you don't have to take this too far he's simply talking about what our prize is what our motivation is he's talking about reward Prize is what our motivation is. Is Jesus your motivation? What is the motivation of your heart? And what gets missed as we translate from the original language to the English language is Jesus uses two different words which we translate both to reward. So there in the, the, the first half of that passage, he talks about those that pray publicly. They get their reward. The ones that are praying for recognition and respect, they get their reward. And Jesus uses the word mistos. And mistos is simply this present tense transaction, payment of wages deserved. He's not condemning, condemning them to hell. He simply they, they get their reward. They get their pat on the back. They get their, their boost of, of ego and confidence in the moment, right then, right then and there. He uses another word, that second word he uses that we translate to reward, when you pray in pri- private with this pure motivation of communion with the Father. We translate it reward- I won't even try to pronounce it in Greek. It's apoditomy. Apoditomy. I'll just say that. Apoditomy. And apoditomy is future tense of a reward in, in the context of covenant promise. It's in the context of relationship, future tense. You will receive a reward because of relationship. I don't know if that's, that's profound to me. That's, that's good. That's good news drawing me into actual relationship is Jesus' our prize. There is the recognition and respect of others our prize. The interior that Jesus is kind of drawing the curtain on, he's he's revealing to us that the chasm couldn't be any larger. But on the exterior, it can be so subtle in our own lives. This morning, Jesus is inviting you in. And fourthly, religion says, cling to your position or affiliation. Relationship says cling to knowing Jesus. We love to think about who we know, or the positions that we hold, the titles that we hold, the places we've been, the experiences we've had. And trust me, I'm the the pastor of this church, and I'm telling you that my prayer for you is not so much that your affiliation would first and foremost be with LifePoint Church, and that would be a badge you would wear of honor. I've, I've always, in my few months of leadership, so it's not a very long time, but since May, and I will continue to say this, my heart in community and committing to this church is in the context of relationship with one another. And the day you don't have a relationship with the people in this building, I would bless you in, going find, in finding a church where you can have a relationship with people. My heart is always relationship, covenant relationship with each other in the context of community. It's not so much an affiliation with the name and how long you've been a member and the positions that you've held. Those things are the mass of religion and they steal us of the joy of relationship. They do. You see, Paul, he studied under the top Jewish scholar Gamaliel, and that was that was the that was number one thing on his on his resume. Right, I studied with the best of the best. Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin, he said in his testimony. Right, the tribe of Benjamin is the the tribe that gave birth to the first king of Israel, his namesake Saul. So Paul had this beefy resume of things that of affiliations and things to to build his ego but he says it's all garbage it's worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus we cling to knowing him positions come and go affiliations come and go a relationship with knowing Christ Jesus is our everything what I quickly learned in during my time in Rwanda was, the, was how long it took to establish a well in a village. I was so naive and I just thought we would zip in there in a couple hours we would have a well going. I have a picture of the, the messiness of drilling water wells and it, we would just create this huge mess everywhere, trying to get the water flowing if we actually tapped into the aquifer. I just wanna tell you this morning from the bottom of my heart, And Christ is inviting you into something. Springs of living water flowing again or flowing for the first time. But getting there, it can be really difficult and messy. It means us picking up a shovel and digging through this difficult ground of our hearts. My heart resists the simplicity of the gospel. And when I say it's simple, I'm not so much saying it's um, we move on quickly I'm saying it's simple because it's straightforward. Anybody can understand it. You don't need an education beyond first grade. You can understand the simplicity of the gospel It's Jesus. Can you fall on your knees and declare him as king? And that's what we need to continue to come back to. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org.